Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at Mike Roth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with Scott Carter, the Chief Executive Officer at Lear Capital Inc. Say hi, Scott. Thanks for having me, Mike. Good. Thanks for joining us today. Before we get started, Scott, I thought I'd tell our listeners who's going to be coming up on tomorrow's show. We have John Morris. He's the president of the Associated Builders and Contractors Association here in Cincinnati in northern Kentucky, one of the forward-thinking organizations that has elected to go regional as opposed to following the state lines. Next week, we have a Cincinnati all-around great guy, Alan Bernstein. He's the president and owner of BB Riverboats. It's his boats that go up and down the Ohio River for sightseeing and scenic and dinner cruises. And a week from tomorrow, we have Randy Minton with Ultimate Air Jet Charters. That's the firm that is providing express, I'm going to call it first-class service, between Cincinnati at Lunkin Field, so it's easy access, and New York and Charlotte, great service, great service. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Scott. Scott, how long have you been Chief Executive Officer of Lear Capital? I've been at Lear Capital for a year now, Mike. I've been in this business, uh, this particular precious metals industry, for four years. Mm-hmm. And I'm responsible for Lear strategy development, sales and marketing, and, and operations. Uh, That's correct, yes. And you you, you oversee the day-to-day operations of the company, and you have full P&L responsibility. Uh, A lot of our our listeners might not know how large uh, your capital is. Well, we're a privately held company, and we're roughly $300 million in revenue, Mike. uh, We we have about 100 employees. And so, uh, you know, we've been around for 17 years, and so we're a good-sized what I would call medium size to uh you know small cap company if we were in the public sector and mm-hmm. uh, have been very uh very fortunate to be able to grow as we have over the last uh, 10 12 years. Okay. Uh Lear is a premier uh, provider in the precious metals business and advertiser on uh, TV, radio and the internet. Scott, I understand that you've uh, been written about and published in several industry articles interviewed by ABC, Fox, Fox Business, and many other media outlets. You have a bachelor's degree from Valparaiso University and an MBA from Lake Forest Graduate School of Management. Scott lives in California with three children. Lake Forest uh, Graduate School, that sounds like Chicago. It is Chicago, yeah. Lake Forest is a northern suburb of Chicago, and they've got a great graduate school program up there. And Many years ago, when I was at Allstate Insurance Company, which is uh, part of my background and experience, they would take their the younger executives and put them through graduate school. If they didn't work you hard enough, even during the day, they also wanted to to put some effort into you at night. So I went to their night program while I was working at Allstate. 
Those were good programs. That's right. Company picks up the whole tab and they get smarter people. <laughs> yes. Well, they're supposed to get smarter people. And for many companies and people, it's a highly successful program. Why don't you share with our audience how Lear goes to market? Certainly. Well, Lear provides precious metals, gold and silver, the physical metals for affluent investors primarily, Mike. These are investors that our initial investment is $20,000, $25,000 on average, money much larger, to initial investors that are looking to diversify their portfolio into to, into a physical asset. So that's our core client that contacts us. And we go to market by, as you suggested, uh, all the major media outlets. So quite a bit on TV, certainly on radio, sponsored radio and Internet. And we, uh, in essence, have a call to action that expresses why people, why investors are uh, buying physical gold or silver, why we're the company that they should choose, and why it's important uh, for uh, for gold and silver to be reflected in your portfolio for the long term as a diversification strategy, as a um, uh, hold strategy versus dollars or versus real estate or what have you. And so we go to market primarily uh, direct to consumers, what it would be called, to uh, have initial investors say, hey, I'm interested in information. I'm interested in this product. Either give me a call or send me some information. Mm -hmm. And roughly how many salespeople do you have? We have uh, roughly 60 commissioned salespeople. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you think about the business model, we uh, we create the uh, the desire, the need, the call to action. We drive them to uh, some sort of media source. It could be online filling out a form. It could be an immediate 800 number call. And they'll talk to a dedicated sales representative to uh, walk them through the process, through the product, eventually set up an account, and the whole sales process. Mm -hmm. So are all of your uh, salespeople out there in the Santa Monica area? They are. We have one individual. We have a few remote locations. Uh, we have uh, one or two individuals that are not in California. But the bulk of our sales force, uh, of the 60 or so, 57, are right here in the one location. And so in your world, your sales team never actually goes face-to-face -face with a prospect that's all over the telephone. That's right. It's all inside sales. Mm -hmm. And it, some may view that and say, wow, that's a really compelling sales force to, to have inside sales and you're selling a product that is a significant financial investment to present it, to uh, make the case, to, to establish the process. So that's why we have very competent, capable, experienced salespeople as part of the company. What's the average transaction size? Uh, it ranges. It could be our average is twenty thousand, but gosh, Mike, we could have people call us today, and it could be a hundred and fifty thousand dollar transaction, or they could call, and it would be a five thousand dollar transaction. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you know, generally speaking, it tends to be individuals that have a liquid portfolio. So this isn't a product for someone who has a is on their way for investing, but maybe they only have five, ten thousand dollars total. This is probably not the product for them. But individuals that are looking to diversify, say five to up to twenty percent of their portfolio, liquid portfolio, then they'll call us and uh, and make the purchase. Okay. And you deal in gold, silver, and any any other precious metals. We also sell platinum and palladium, but the the most popular products are uh, gold and silver, which th those are the known products. Those uh, those two products have been currency in the past. 
mm-hmm. and they uh, they're readily tracked and available. And so that that tends to be the more popular products. Platinum comes after that, and very few people buy palladium. Yeah. I'm surprised you guys even find the market for it. Well, that's right. I mean, it's called the other white metal. It, there's just not, you know, it's really an industrial metal. It tends to move up and down pretty dramatically, but it follows the path of the uh, uh, of the car industry. Basically, it's largely used in in catalytic converters, but it's an industrial metal, and many people uh, play it as an industrial play in their portfolio. So they'll buy it, and, and we can certainly offer it. Okay, that's why people have wound up with catalytic converters being stolen. <laughs> that and the platinum. Platinum's also in catalytic converters. Oh, is it too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you guys are creating your marketing and selling, what do you take as your un- unique marketing advantage? Because there are a lot of uh, vendors out there buying and selling gold and silver coins today. Well, you're absolutely right. I think that uh, it's a crowded field, so you have to create distinction in two or three different areas. First, you have to have distinction in the quality of your company, that uh, you have uh, trained quality people, that the company presence in the 60-second spot or the 90-second spot, whatever you're running, is conveyed to the point where someone says, well, if I'm interested in this product, Based on what I'm seeing here, this is the company I want to do business with. And we do that by quality of the advertising. We do that by the messaging in the advertising. Uh, We do that by the way we present Lear's size and dedication to service. All of those distinctions separate us from our competitors. Then you also offer benefits. Like any company, you would offer benefits, whether it is guaranteed delivery within 15 days, whether you have an effective buyback policy so you make a market for individuals that want to liquidate, whether you have dedicated service providers for the the customer. All of those components would make Lear and does make Lear a distinctive choice in a field that has many many other companies advertising. Mm-hmm. So you have a sales department and a customer service department? No, our, our sales department functions in customer service. Our clients have a certain amount of trust in their sales individual that they've dealt with. And once you are a client, you keep that sales representative through the entire time. So they're here to meet your needs, whether you're liquidating, maybe you're adding to your portfolio, maybe you purchased gold originally, and now you would like to diversify into silver as well. We want to make sure that you are taken care of, that you're dealing with the same person that you've grown comfortable with. And so we keep that process in place for sales and service. Mm-hmm. That's good. So there's a continue, continuation of the relationship beyond the, the sale. What kind of turnover do you experience in your sales team? After someone's been with us for a year, Mike, and they've demonstrated that uh, they can sell, we have very little turnover. This is a, For an inside sales job, this is a, a, a great opportunity for individuals. Uh, if they are good at what they do, obviously. So once we train them and and teach them the process, uh, then we have very very little turnover after that. The only turnover that occurs post that year is if someone uh, just isn't able to uh, maintain a, a quality sales process, uh, maintain a quality service process that we require. Or they're just not able to, uh, to to capture the skills and keep them fresh for uh, for being a successful sales sales representative. So it sounds like what you're saying is turnover is extremely low. 
extremely low after a year. Now, obviously, up to a year, uh, you hire classes or you have two or three individuals that think they know how to sell or or what have you, and, and it doesn't turn out that way. So in the first year, you could have a much higher turnover. You could have 35 40% turnover in that first year. But once someone's proven themselves, they build up a book of business, then the turnover falls down to you know lower than 10%. Oh, that's fantastic. And, and you're paying your people on 100% commission? What amounts to that? That that is correct. So the, uh, the it, it's a, a fully commissionable sales job, and uh, and it's a career really. It's not even a job. It's a it's a long term career. So many of our sales reps have been here for you know our averages eight years, but we have individuals that have been with us for the entire time the company's been in existence, seventeen years. Wow, that's pretty good. Then they have experience. You have experience and trust in the sales team. That's right. Uh, as you look at the marketplace, uh, what do you see as the opportunities and possibilities for Lear? Well, I, when you look at the the ownership of our particular product, now, mind you, we're talking about individuals who own physical gold and silver, not a security or an ETF or a piece of paper or a stock, but actually the physical gold. It is represented uh, in less than 2% of portfolios. So whereas if I went back to the 1970s, there was a time when physical gold and silver represented 5% of a diversified portfolio. So there's been a compression, if you will, of the amount of gold and silver owners, physical gold and silver owners in the marketplace. So when I look at the market and see what's happening, not only here in the U.S., Mike, but when you see what's happening in the world with regard to debt and deficit spending and devaluing of currencies, hard assets, gold and silver in particular, have a fairly bright future. So I think that the the growth is is organic in the sense that we can sell more to individuals that have already purchased it because of what's happening in the marketplace. But also there are just new markets out there, individuals who haven't heard about it, the product, the value of it, and we can see that 2% of portfolios maybe go to 4 or 5%. So I think that that's going to be a very compelling case on why leaders should continue to grow. Maybe I was a little confused when you said it just now, uh, but do you sell both in the United States and outside the United States? We don't. We sell domestically right now. Uh, we are not selling internationally. But interestingly enough, the news that happens internationally impacts our market greatly. How so? Well, so here's a good example. Uh, uh, most recently, uh, it was in the news that uh, the tiny little European country of Cyprus decided to have a wealth tax on a on a weekend when the banks were closed. They decided to uh, to tax savers to take up to 10% or 15% of the money that they had saved as a tax to help save the bank. And what was created was this idea for individuals that their money is not safe in a bank, that a government can confiscate it and and do it arbitrarily, capriciously. Uh, So even though the news is happening over near Greece and in Europe, the psychological impact for individuals to say, is my money uh, beyond the reach of governments where they just can't arbitrarily tax it or not, and if it's not, like maybe in Europe, then should I take a component of maybe of my cash savings and and uh, diversify it, buy a physical asset that's outside of that reach, something that I have 
that is mine, that is in my my own safe or or uh, you know in, in safekeeping, instead of having all my assets tied up in a financial institution that I can't control. That, that, that's an interesting comment about what happened in Cyprus. I had heard there were some monetary problems in Cyprus on the national network news, but I didn't realize it was a confiscatory kind of attacks against money that people had in bank accounts. That's right. And as a matter of fact, the, the banks were closed. This is like the U.S. had back in the 30s. The banks were closed for three or four days for sheer panic by the government that that once they reopened the banks, there would be a run on the bank. So you know, they're trying to calm the fears of, thought, of individuals. I thought the monetary fund was giving Cyprus a big loan and they had to pass a tax to to get the loan. Well, I think it's a combination, Mike. They are certainly going to get some free money from the IMF, mm-hmm. but this is the first time the uh, the Rubicon's been crossed, if you will, in that that savers were arbitrarily uh, penalized. I guess is the best way to put it with a with a wealth tax, not not money that you have earned and haven't paid tax on, but money that is just sitting in your savings account, and we're going to take 10% of it as a contribution to help bail out a particular bank. I think it, it's a, it's extraordinary in in the impact. But back to your original point is, well, why does that, that why does that impact uh, someone here in the United States? Well, the, well I think, what's that? Well, the price of the, the, the metal the, the back here in the United States. Well, the, the, the price of the metal is dictated worldwide. So even though you're buying it in dollars, uh, the the fact is is that you're buying uh, uh, gold on on what's known as the London fix. That's kind of the spot price, and then off that London fix, uh, the morning the AM fix and the PM fix determines uh, what the premium would be that you would pay to buy physical gold. So it's a it's a worldwide, if you will, or an international commodity that is traded, and is very much impacted by. Currency issues that could be in Japan could be like the the issue I just mentioned in in Europe, or it could be uh, government fiscal policy. All of these conditions will play a part in in how uh, one views gold and silver as a part of their portfolio, and indeed how it appreciates or not. Good, Scott. We're going to take a short commercial break, and we'll be back in about two minutes. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced. Sandler Trainer. At the first sign of trouble, there are three types of business leader. The first type of leader is like a turtle. He pulls his head and tail in and hides in his shell. Turtles hunker down, just trying to survive. The second type of leader is an opportunist. They're like eagles. Eagles spread their wings and take advantage of the winds. They catch the storm wind and rise to new heights. The third group, between turtles and eagles, are called turkeys. Turkeys are average and anxious. They huddle together and move. They never saw. However, turkeys are easy prey for those who seize the opportunity and soar. If someone in your industry goes out of business, are you going to get the business? The question is, which type of leader are you? Will you seize the opportunities to take market share and grow, or will your fate be like the turkeys? If you're serious about growth, call me to arrange a confidential meeting, 513-646-6523, or check our website at rothconsulting.net. Mike, I'm so excited because we're finally going to give the medium-sized company, company that's between $1 million and $20 million in revenue, 
the marketing and sales strategy that they've been looking for and needing for years. We're going to help them do it in just three days. Day one is going to be talking about sales and marketing strategy. Day two is tactics. And day three are action plans, helping you figure out how to get it done. And at a bargain price, too. I don't know about you, Mike, but I normally charge $5,000 for a marketing plan. How much do you charge for a good sales plan? It's not unusual to see figures like ten dollars or $15,000. Exactly. Well, because this is invitation-only, private, hands-on workshop that we are doing for business owners and presidents and CEOs, that we are actually limiting the participation to just 25 companies, and they're going to bring their existing marketing and sales materials with them. Then we're going to show them how to improve their marketing and sales strategies, tactics, and action plans over the three days. And it's only going to cost less than $2,000. And that's including breakfast, lunch, and our personal consulting and coaching. I think it's a pretty good bargain, don't you? Excellent. Well, and to make it even easier for business owners to make it, we actually have spread the sessions out over three different months. So last Wednesday, April, May, and June. Tom, how do they find out about it? Go to marketleaders.us. Marketleaders.us is that simple. It's that simple. Go there, and we explain all the different sessions and break it down for you. And that's where you can go to register, sign up. First one starts April 24th. Wednesday, next one is Wednesday, May 29th. And the last one is Wednesday, June 26th. After all three days, you're going to have an outline for your whole marketing and sales strategy for 2013. Tom, what should they do if they can't make one of those dates? No problem. If you can't make one of the dates, just call me directly, and we'll make some special arrangements. You can reach me at 614-622-1047. Thanks, Tom. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Scott Carter, and we were talking about a extremely unusual situation in Cyprus where the government put a tax on money that was sitting in people's bank accounts and savings accounts I was wondering, Scott, could the United States government do the same kind of thing? Well, Mike, I, I think that we're a ways from that, but they absolutely could do the same thing. In fact, historically, we have done it. In desperate times, desperate measures were taken. Now, you've got to go back to the Depression times when this occurred, but the, the U.S. government has, has confiscated someone's uh, assets, basically devalued our currencies in the past. And I think that that harkens to what the real problem is, not only in Europe, but here in the United States, which is we have a um, institution, our federal governments, that have overspent, have overpromised, and it has created a debt crisis where there's not enough money being raised at the federal level to pay these bills. So even tiny little Cyprus, which has a, I think their GDP is is $60 billion, it's, it's a rounding error, uh, highlights the challenge that's faced not only in Greece, Spain, Italy, you, all the European countries, and eventually here in the U.S., which is you just can't keep borrowing to pay your bills. It's basic math. You and I know it. We Our, our households can't be managed that way. And eventually the uh, the bill comes due, and the money has to come from somewhere. So in Little Cyprus, they're, uh, they're taxing the people who have money and have saved the money. Could it happen here in the U.S.? Nothing's impossible. I hope we don't get to that point. But nothing, in my view, over the next 20, 30 years is off the table here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go back and touch the opportunity in the marketplace uh, with financial services advisors who uh, are recommending to their clients don't hold physical gold. Uh, even Jim Jim Cramer has recommended that GLD 
uh, exchange-traded fund. What's wrong with that strategy for investors? Well, GOD, uh, Mike, is a, it's a fine security, but it's just that. It's a security. So you're buying a, a piece of paper, what I would call paper gold versus physical gold. And many investment advisors will recommend GLD because it's easy to purchase. Uh, the assets under management are still in their control, not in the investor's control. And if you're paid under an assets under, uh, under management model, then you want to have control of that money. Uh, however, if you just take that sort of bias aside and say, well, why GLD and why not physical gold? The answer is, is that you're not getting the physical gold. You can't go down to the GLD store and say, give me my physical gold. And I think for many investors, they actually want to see it, the, the gold or silver. They want to touch it. They want to have it in their hand, much the same way when we buy real estate. There's a big difference between buying a piece of real estate on the corner, a hard building, versus buying a real estate investment trust. Both are exposures to real estate, but, but for the investor, Mike, the the psychology is very much the same as like when we buy real estate. There's a difference between owning a piece of real estate, a building, and investing in a real estate investment trust. Both are logical, both make sense, but one is physical and one is not. Until you've lost money in a real estate investment trust. When I had a investment advisor recommend the uh, exchange traded fund, I, I decided to read the prospectus. And when I read the prospectus, the harder I read it, the more I became convinced that they didn't necessarily have to have the gold in their reserves that I was buying. Or it could be the reserves of someone else that they invested in. So it left me really um, uneasy about that as being a uh, a real investment as opposed to just a piece of paper. Well, I think that you just hit the nail on the head. I think that many people that are buying physical gold and silver want just that. And even if they were buying it from a realist or a, um, a, a security that purports to have it, they would like to be able to see it. And the reality is many of these funds, uh, because this is how they make their return, they're leveraged. And they take your money and they lever it up so they do not have to purchase in the market the physical gold or silver, if we were talking about the SLV, which is the same thing, only for silver. So, I, again, I think that, that I don't want to poo-poo the idea that the GLD is a bad investment. It's not. It's actually been a very good investment. It's brought more people to the the, the metals market. But I think the investor that is weighing the alternatives might see the values of saying, I don't want to have, uh, you know, the technical term would be the counterparty risk. I don't want to have my asset be somebody else's liability. So I want to buy the asset and I want to take possession of it and I want to have it. And that's what many of our clients do when they per call us. They want to purchase that physical asset and have it and store it on their own. And I think that's a very valuable way to go, but not the only way. Is that what you think people are looking for right now? Physical Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. When you look, Mike, at the growth of the physical metals market worldwide, now, by the way, it dwarfs, meaning the paper metal market is much larger than the physical market. But if you look at the physical purchase market, physical gold and silver, that is growing at 30% a year. But its size compared to the ability to just buy a contract, a paper uh, product on Comex, what have you, uh, is so much smaller that it doesn't move the metal pricing. And uh, but but individual investors like you and me are absolutely buying the physical metal. 
So isn't there a limitation on the amount of physical metal there is? I mean, whether you're, I mean, if you're talking about bullion bars that can mine that, but there's a limit on that. But when you get into the collectible numismatic grade coins, uh, there were just so many pre-1933 American coins or English coins minted, weren't there? There were. Uh, however, there's always a market for them, and uh, what dri- it's what drives the price up. When you look at uh, the physical gold above ground, there's probably 125,000, maybe 140,000 tons, which isn't that much of just gold uh, mm-hmm. since the beginning of time. But there are movers in and out of the marketplace that uh, create uh, create avail- availability for the market. And, and by the way, you have many sovereign countries, mints from these countries, like the United States Mint, that are continuing to make gold and silver coins and platinum coins. So the market is there for these products to be bought and sold, and uh, that's what that's what happens. Mike, one last point on this is that for, for years, central banks around the world were the leading providers of bringing gold to the market, meaning they were net sellers of gold and silver, uh, primarily gold, to the marketplace. But for the last four years, central banks have been the the most significant buyers of physical gold, and I think that that's very telling to investors to say why would why would central banks around the world like India and Russia and China Japan why would they be buying gold when they have all the paper currency that that they need and they can print it? What is the motivation? And I think that you and I both know it's because currencies are being devalued and gold holds its value in that type of environment. Uh, so physical gold holds holds its value better than paper money, or money in banks, as uh, the people in Cyprus discovered. The individual investor, and you're selling primarily to inv- individual investors? We do, yes. Don't they create a problem for themselves by physically possessing it? In, in what regard? By eventually well, having to liquidate or... Well, there's a security question on the physical possession on one end of it. And then on the other end of the investment is how do you liquidate it? Okay, you got $50,000 worth of uh, gold American coins pre-1933. And I'm saying pre-1933 because before that, after that, they were confiscated by uh, FDR. Right. How does an investor turn those back into cash? Right. Good, good. Two great questions. Well, the first is that that up until this situation with Cyprus, many individuals uh, would put their gold in their safety deposit box. And and in many respects, the safety deposit box is, is your own personal uh, uh, asset. So in theory, can't be touched by the bank if the bank is open. But also many people uh, just keep it very private and, and store it in a safe at home or what have you. So it does bring that additional security risk, if you will, uh, by by having it. So that's uh, to your first question. The second point is that uh, many companies like, like Lear, we make a market. So individuals that buy gold from us, if they want to liquidate, they contact us and we give them a, a bid price, if you will, a buy price every day. We make a market. Mm-hmm. And if they want to turn their physical gold or silver into cash, then we, we do that for them. Okay, so the, you buy it uh, back from people that you sold it to and you make a market in the, in the particular metals. You, you bring up an interesting point. Is the safety deposit box in a bank secure? Is what you're saying it may not be secure? 
Well, I think it is. I, I think that uh, we haven't had a bank go under here in the United States. Uh, well, in the, the banks it, fail. Well, the banks fail, and they they all fail on Friday, and they open up under a new name on Monday. Uh, okay. So, so the individual investor has never really lost uh, their access, if you will, or exposure to getting to their money. And then you've got the FDIC that's that's insuring up to I don't even know what the number is now. I think it's two hundred fifty thousand, maybe maybe more uh, of your money. So the the banks have gone a long way here in the United States to to create a, a, a specter of trust, which is important. That says you can get your money, uh, and uh, and your money is insured, and you won't lose it. Now, I think the interesting twist that we've been talking about in Cyprus is that it's shooting a hole in that. And once you lose the public's trust and they start coming to the bank for their money, they're going to be greatly surprised. I think many, your, your listeners probably know, but many people don't realize that the bank doesn't have all the money and deposits at the bank, that that they they lend it out and, and they can, uh, you know, they lease it out. So the very last thing that, that a bank wants is to have all its customers come in and say, give me my money back, which is exactly what's happening in Europe. And so this idea that uh, your bank is safe and your safety deposit box is safe is something that is, is critically important here in the United States and, and, in my view, around the world. And if that gets broached, Mike, or breached, then, then the banking system has a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had we're in Cincinnati, and uh, I was talking to a mortgage company owner uh, a few years ago about making an investment in himself and their people, and he, they were going to spend uh, some uh, some nice size five figure uh, number with me. And I said to him, "So, uh, where is the money uh, that you're you're going to spend to train your people?" And the guy sitting across the desk from me says, it's in my mattress. <laughs> Being a West Sider from Cincinnati, I really believed him. It <laughs> was in his mattress. wasn't in the bank. It was the mortgage business. Uh, Unintended joke. That, that sometimes happens. Um, I, I mean, I, you joke, but I think many people do have money in their mattress. On an average day, uh, roughly, how many uh, commercial spots are you running? We'll run, just on TV, we'll run eight or nine spots a day. Then we'll run four or five radio spots, and those could be on various shows. And then we're constantly online, on the Internet. We're either doing paid search or we're doing uh, landing page organic search when people are shopping on the Internet for information. So those three components... Mike really drive our uh, our marketing strategy. Okay, uh, we're going to take a short commercial break here, and we're going to listen to San Rule Number Five. Pat Hydrick with Sandler Training, here to talk to you about rule number five, never answer an unasked question. Now, why would anybody want to answer an unasked question? Well, in sales, salespeople can get a little excited. They can be proud of their product knowledge, their industry expertise. And at the wrong moment, they might suggest something that the prospect never brought up, and it can actually kill the deal. 
Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you've done a good job of uncovering the prospects, problems, frustrations, issues, concerns, and you put together a great presentation and you're nailing every single point and the prospect's ready to buy from you? And you might find yourself or somebody else on your team says, hey, did we share with you? And then that's the salesperson's biggest nightmare. What you thought was a slam dunk sale all of a sudden gets derailed and for whatever reason that person does not become a client of yours. So don't forget rule number five, never answer an unasked question. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Scott Carter from Lear Capital. Scott, we were talking before the break about the internet work that you guys are doing. Do you have your own internet department, or are you farming that out to outside vendors? No, we have our uh, own internet department where I have individuals that are dedicated not only to, on the social media space, but on the uh, on the internet paid and organic side as well. Mm-hmm. Are you able to track a return on investment from your internet uh, social media? To some extent, yes. I would say that from a pure return on investment on this social media space, and I'll define that as uh, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, mm-hmm. The it, those are still developmental, I, in my view, from a revenue standpoint. Uh, it, it's about brand awareness. It's about being in the space. It's about content. I think all of those are the softer side of value for the company, but a, a direct sort of revenue from Twitter or revenue from Facebook, it's it's a lot harder to, to uh, see the value of that. And most companies, I think, uh, want to be in that space as it grows. But it's uh, as a direct-to-consumer marketer as I am, you, you want to see hard revenue lines based on a an ad that's run. And it doesn't really work that way on the social media side. On the Internet side, on the paid search side, on the organic side, that is developed – uh, and, and has over the last decade and is, is tracking very well because, let's face it, that's that's usually the first point of contact any prospective client goes to as they look at your company online. Mm-hmm. Do you have an average age of your investor calculated? We do. I, we do quite a bit of research. The, the average age is somewhere between 48 and 60, and logically that makes sense because this is a – uh, a high dollar purchase, so it has to be someone that has had time to to accumulate some assets. Maybe they've got an IRA, which mm-hmm. you can put gold or silver into a uh, into an IRA as well, or well, maybe they. But yeah, yeah, that's right. There's a subject that merits a little bit of amplification uh, because there's been a lot of confusion about can I put uh, precious metals into my IRA? But before I ask you to answer that question. I'm going to ask you to tell the folks how they can contact you and Lear Sigler. Uh, Lear Sigler. I'm going to ask. Okay. Error correction. Take two. <laughs> Scott, I'm going to ask you to uh, tell our listeners how they can co- how they can contact you at Lear Capital after the show is over. That's great. Well, the the best way to contact us is to go to learcapital.com, and there you're going to find information about the company 
uh, you're going to see an easy way to uh, to obtain information on the investor kit if you want to download it, get a PDF file to find out some information. And as you mentioned, uh, we may explore IRAs. There's a great way for you to to download and, and find out how easy it is to to purchase uh, metals in your IRA as well when we follow through that. So go to learcapital.com. You can certainly uh, find out more about the company, and uh, that's the best way to reach us. And there's a, there's an 800 number that they can call during the business day? There is an 800 number that they can call. They should call us at 800-576-9355. Again, let me give it to you, 800 576 That gets right to the floor. Or as I said, they can go to the LearCapital.com website and download the investor kit and get their questions answered at that point there. Good. So we were going to go on and talk about having precious metals in your IRA. Is that a complicated thing these days? It's actually not. It's quite simple. Uh, the, uh, the the client who has an IRA already, you have to work with a trust company, which uh, like uh, any IRA, you, you can't have direct access to your, uh, to your uh, account. But we have two trust companies that we use, whether it's uh, Gold Star, or whether it is uh, uh, what's known as SDIRA, and they set up an account for a client. The money is funded from the uh, from the client's IRA into the trust. The trust gives us the money, and we send the metals to the trust. And it's, it's actually set up very easily. And many, many people, Mike, and it's a significant portion of our uh, of our sales. Many people are taking a portion of their IRAs and moving it into a gold backed or silver backed IRA. Mm-hmm. And and the gold in those uh, IRAs is kept where? The the trust companies usually store it at what's known as DDSC or the Delaware Depository Service Center out on the East Coast, and uh, it is it, it sits there in, in a uh, an unsegregated account if you're buying gold or silver, and uh, it is stored and and the client will get a a um, a statement every six months on the metal, the ounces of metals that that they own are stored on their behalf at DDSC. Uh, so it's it's quite simple actually to set it up. Very few are aware of it, but once you do uh, get some information, you'll see how easy it is to walk through the three four step process. So you can fill out the forms online, you get the appropriate information, and then Lear Capital handles the uh, the transactional process for you. So when it goes the other way, with your investors who are over 65 and want to take uh, stipulated withdrawals from their IRA, uh, how does the sale of the metals work? It works the the, the same way in reverse. Uh, the client calls us and say, I would like to take a $2,500 distribution, and uh, we write up a purchase order where we're buying $2,500 at our bid. We send it to to DDSC, if you will, or the, the trust company, and they move $2,500 worth of metal out of your account into our account. We send you a check, and uh, and then we have the metal, and you've got the cash, and that's how it works. But how long does that something like that take? Oh, it's it's days. You know, it, it is, uh, if you called us today, and once the metal is moved over the next couple of days, as soon as the metal is secured in our account, then we, we mail you the check. Very simple. Good. Let's uh, change subjects. Uh, we have a theory of operation here that uh, simple solutions to complex problems are almost invariably wrong. And if you want to uh, get a solution for a complex problem, you usually need a complex solution. 
uh, perhaps you could share with our listeners a complex problem that you uh, stumbled into and came up with a great complex solution for. Uh, certainly, uh, and I think this if this is it might be a truism, Mike. I'm going to say it anyhow, but I think it's the truth. I think uh, in business, many complex problems are complex because of the impact it has on people. Meaning, the problem itself, if the people weren't involved uh, or the people uh, employees weren't impacted, may not be as significant. So when I think of complex problems, it usually has to do with maybe cultural change or business process change that the company hasn't experienced in the past. And you have to bring your employees along, long-term employees along, to uh, not only get enrolled, be supportive, but also be able to change with that change. Recently, we had a, a problem that on the surface doesn't seem that complex, but when you think about it, it is, in that that uh, many of our prospects, if you will, leads that contact us, culturally there was a, a period of time where those leads were sort of um, owned, if you will, by uh, the sales rep. Whether they worked them or didn't work them, it was in their their base, their their account base at their discretion for a long period of time. Now, that doesn't seem like the right thing to do from a business standpoint. If you're a business and you've got uh, leads that you spent money on, you want to work them effectively and efficiently. Well, you, but if you, you are the if, uh, advertising to generate the leads, that's right. We spent the advertising to generate the leads. Property, company. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly exactly right. It's company property. So you cannot, you and I in a in a business setting could see and understand that absolutely clearly. But culturally, if you've been in one place for a period of time and you want to move the the entire floor to a place where we're working these leads more effectively without it feeling like you're being disadvantaged, how do you do that? So we took what I would call a a pretty basic, simple uh, business model where we wanted to work our leads more effectively and implemented a lead flow process that, that came across to the employee base and I think that these are absolutes in every complex problem, especially when you're dealing with employees, that that was effective, easily understood, that was fair to everybody, that was enrolling in why the change needs to be made. You mm-hmm. celebrated the successes of the people that that adopted, were early adopters to say, look at the great things that I've done. And then you bring the, the slower... Uh, if you will, slower to change or, or resistant to change, laggards along to say, hey, you too can have this, and that's what uh, you know. That that's what we did, and and so it seems like a simple problem, but it's actually not because it becomes more complex when you have cultural impacts, when you have people impact. Yeah, it sounds like you were implementing something like a CRM. Well, we we were implementing a CRM, but we were changing the timelines uh, to say that, hey, if you haven't contacted this lead in X, X number of days, uh, we need to give someone else a fair shot. So we're giving you a warning. We're giving you the tools that you can track it, where we you can schedule follow-ups, phone calls. You can do these things. But if you don't do it, then it's a company asset, as you said, and we want to move it to some other sales representative that will do it. Now, you might say, guys, Scott, that seems so simple. When your historic change hasn't been the case and you're trying to move people along, you would be amazed at how significant that kind of a change would be. Mm-hmm. We uh, we had a guest on the show a couple of months back who said that a web lead web lead needs to be followed up in five minutes or less or your prospect is going to Google the same thing again and go to the number two or the number three choice. 
Mm-hmm. So, uh, thinking about it, I was thinking, you know, this guy probably has a point, especially for the younger prospects out there. The older folks might might wait a while longer. The younger guy, the 28-year-old, internet billionaire, he's going to go down to the next uh, next hit on Google. Well, that, yeah, I think it's an interesting point. We have the same thing in our, our business, that the faster you can contact someone who reaches you online, fills out a form, the more uh, success you'll have in not only contacting them, which is such a big item, but also giving them the answers they need to their questions and, and converting them into clients. Good, Scott. We're going to take a another short commercial break here, and then we'll be back in about two minutes. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. If you're a salesperson or a company owner, my message is critical for you. Today, I want to talk to you about the real secret of getting out of debt. Earn more money. Most salespeople and owners want to sell more at a higher price with better margins, but don't know how. I've helped hundreds of people and companies grow over 30% per year by making an investment in themselves. Albert Einstein said, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. I teach my clients new and different strategies, tactics, and behaviors that get dramatic results. I'm not for everyone. I'm tough, expensive, abrasive, and not politically correct. But if you want results, we need to talk. Why do some business owners make lots of money while others endure years of mediocrity? Is it really the economy, the market, the weather, the competition? No. These are all called excuses which are always plentiful. Hi, I'm Mike Roth, founder of Roth & Associates. I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. As a business owner or part of a team, are you accepting excuses from your sales team because you make them yourself? Business winners succeed in spite of this trash. Business winners invest in themselves and their people. For over 15 years, we've been coaching, training, and challenging professionals who are 100% committed to long-term sales growth and profitability, no matter what it takes. If you're deadly serious about increasing your sales, call me at 513-646-6523. I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. To find out how Sandler training can make you better, faster, and stronger, call 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth. I'm here with Scott Carter from Lear Capital. Scott, you've been a CEO for a lot of years. Perhaps you can give a leadership tip or two to our listeners who are other CEOs something that you've learned. Certainly, Mike. I I think that uh, many of us have so many years of experience, and you you try to boil down to some leadership tips that have been successful in your career. For me, the most significant uh, tip, if you will, or process that I've used is to take my job and, and give the the view to my employees that I'm a, a what I would call a servant leader. Uh, and this, this has been written about. It's not unique to me and certainly not my idea. But trying to embrace the fact and convey to employees that you are at least as concerned about their success and interested and will celebrate their success as much as you are in your own success will reap huge rewards in loyalty and going the extra mile from your employees. And as soon as I stopped thinking about myself and my young career and my own success and the chair I I 
got to sit in next or the money that I made or what, whatever your motivation is and started think about thinking of more about the people around me and saying what can I uh what can I do to help them or or really celebrating in their successes that they didn't see me as an adversary or a competitor but as a partner the more successful not only that I became but the more successful that I was viewed as being a team player as a motivational leader and more success as a business so be a servant leader uh, and you'll find that, that you cannot stop your employees from wanting to be loyal to you and achieve what you think they would achieve and can achieve uh, for your business and for themselves. Mm-hmm. Now, Scott, naturally I haven't been out to your, visit you in Santa Monica, but during the day, do you have your, your office door open so people can come in and talk to you? Nonstop. And they're in nonstop, and I'm on the floor a lot. I don't like to sit in my office. So I think on a sales floor, uh, like any sales floor, you have to get out there and make sure that you're encouraging. You have to answer questions. You have to let the people know that you are uh, you're there to help them. That you uh, you're creating a positive motivational environment. That you're you're cheering, if you will, for their success. And that's what makes sales floors, in my view, work really well. Mm-hmm. Now we mentioned earlier that your salespeople get many many company generated leads from media mass marketing. Is there any encouragement for the salespeople to self-generate leads? Not for our particular business. What we want to do is contact or have individuals contact us, investors that are interested in the product. So uh, we think that we can generate enough warm leads, as they're called, where someone is interested in the information of the product without having to uh, motivate our employees or salespeople to to either cold call or to you know get a list or what have you, uh, we don't think that that works as well for our business model when we're reaching out versus someone reaching into us. Mm-hmm. Well, your your meet mass media and the web uh, can create a warm prospect uh, that's almost as good as a uh, referral. That's right. Well, that's what we've seen. A referral is by far the best. Um, but the warm lead where someone is interested in the information or interested in an IRA is uh, the second best. And that's that's where we specialize in and to be able to target our message to get to the right audience in a mass market environment, whether it's on TV or radio or Internet, to target our message so that individuals that are right for this product self-select and contact us and are interested. Mm-hmm. So when you're dealing with a a prospect who's learning about the marketplace, what are your guys and ladies supposed to say to tell them why Lear is different and why people should be doing business with Lear Capital? Well, the first thing is that, like any salesperson, you have to present yourself uh, competently, uh, interested in answering their questions, Uh, finding out what their hot-button issue is, why are they interested in this product, and then setting Lear Capital uh, apart from the competition. Why do you want to do business with Lear? Well, here's what we provide to you. We're going to be here for you. We've been in business for 17 years. We make a market, and that's very important, meaning that when you want to liquidate, if you buy from Joe down the street, you're not sure whether he's going to buy your product back or not. We do buy your product back. 
you want to have certainty that you're going to receive the product. Well, we'll guarantee that you're going to get our product, your product in 15 to 20 days, or your shipping's free. You know, those types of things we instruct our sales reps uh, to to incorporate into their presentations because I think that that's what makes us distinctive. Have you had problems with shipping in, in, in precious metals? No. Not not our our company. I'm sure there are companies out there that have. But when someone is buying a physical purchase, Mike, if you just think about the psychology of the buyer, and you are you're buying something uh, all over the telephone, and you're wiring a significant amount of money, whether it's ten thousand, twenty thousand, hundred thousand, you're sitting on pins and needles a little bit, waiting for your to, to receive the product. You know, it's not like you're buying a car and you're on the dealership floor, piece of real estate, and you see it. So, you know, that certainty, that peace of mind of knowing that we're going to be there for you is very important to convey. Well, that you certainly create the high anxiety. Uh, are these guys going to deliver that which I think I bought? That's right. Um, and, and and frankly, if you're making a, a market, how do you how do you handle that on both sides, on the buy and the sell? Well, when we're on the sell, when we're buying back, if you will, or, or someone's liquidating, they contact us and they they ship it to us. If they if they take a possession, they ship the product back to us when we receive it, and and it is agreed to on what they want to sell. Then we lock in the order, and uh, and then we send them a check. Mm-hmm. So you must have a a really special receiving department or mailroom. You got a package in with twenty thousand dollars worth of uh, gold bullion or coins in it. How do you open a package like that and make sure that no one's pocketing the loose change? Well, that that's true. I mean, certainly, it, it, there's a certain amount of security. You have to have employees that you trust. Mm-hmm. You uh, you you have to uh, have oversight. You know, and uh, and uh, redundant processes in place to make sure that it's done correctly. Mm-hmm. Is has there ever had a problem with one of the, the carriers stealing coins from a shipment? No, the uh, everything is insured. So it, it, it's insured when we ship it to someone, or if they're shipping it back to us, whether it's FedEx or UPS, whatever you use, there's insurance. So uh, to the extent that it, that there has ever been a problem, which there haven't been, you know, certainly the customer or the or the company is is protected from an insurance standpoint. But remember, these are all unmarked boxes. They'd have to open them up to know what's in it, and it goes to these central locations. So it's very difficult to to know what's in the what's in a package and why you would select our package over someone else's. So when I'm shipping it back, it doesn't say ship to Lear Capital. When you're shipping it back, it does, you put it in a box, and it does say uh, back to Lear Capital, but that is insured, and and so your exposure is not there. When it's uh, the the most significant issue for a client is when they're receiving when they're receiving their product. They want to make sure that uh, you know their neighbors don't know that they're receiving metals at their house. So that's coming unmarked. They have to sign for it, uh, and uh, you know, and and that gives some degree of protection as well as insurance, but that gives some degree of protection that it is that is private and it's an anonymous uh delivery to your door. So are you ship are you shipping Federal Express or United States Post Office or both? Both. Uh, uh mostly FedEx, but uh, the US Postal Service does a, a wonderful job uh of shipping. Ground shipping, uh silver is very popular. Situations 
apply. It's when something needs to be there overnight, then we tend to use uh, either FedEx or UPS. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the biggest reason that an investor should have precious metals in their portfolio? Mike, I think the the singular reason is because the United States debt is at $16 trillion and it's going to $22 trillion, and we can't afford it. And therefore, we will print dollars to pay these future bills to inflate our way out of this problem. And inflation erodes our buying power and increases the value of hard assets like gold and silver. So it is a contra-asset in many respects to the dollar. Mm-hmm. And it is something that uh, shouldn't – it's not a better ranch asset. It, it has volatility. It's not something that you would ever put all your money into. But to have 5, 10, 15 percent of your liquid portfolio into an asset that is works inversely to the dollar over the long term should be an asset that is in there because the, the prospects of our, our government and our country printing more money to pay these future entitlement liabilities is very strong. And to me, that is the singular reason why someone should diversify and have this as a component of their portfolio. Great. I appreciate you being with us today, Scott. And as a token of my appreciation, I'm going to be sending you out, not insured, a copy of one of Sandler's books, The 11 uh, Sandler Success Principles. You'll get it in a a few days in a marked box. (laughs) (laughs) And there'll be a million dollars enclosed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Mike, listen, I want to thank you for having me on the program. And uh, uh, thank you for including me in the show. Great. Thanks a lot, Scott. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.